for being here. Just a reminder to uh, pray for our folks in Alaska. I believe there's eight of them, and they're all safe. They're three hours behind us, and so they got there uh, last night. They start tomorrow afternoon, I think about 2 o'clock, in terms of their ministry uh, in a public park. So pray for them. Pray for Brother Tim. Uh, His birthday was Friday. He turned 75 years old. Amazing. You know, he looks so good. Uh, Was that right? But she's not 75 yet. <laughs> but go ahead. She said, Tim, she said, it's an honor for you to share my birthday. Uh, <laughs> Y'all kind of like with a criminal. She had a birthday with a I told you it was 75, Jimmy. <laughs> Just, this is the evidence. is on display. You know, I, Calvin, I want to apologize to you, being almost 100, and here I am making fun of this 75-year-old man. Because you, you are so clear. God bless him. Yeah, I love you, Tim. We're glad you're home. Uh, I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 5. Oh, <laughs> happy birthday, everybody. First John chapter 5, and then uh, locate Proverbs 13. Uh, we are preaching several sermons in a little series on how to be rich. How to be rich. I know you uh, saw me drive up in my car today. You're interested in this. and uh, But that's not the title of this sermon. It's uh, an overarching theme. This message is the second part of what I began last week on how to measure wealth. Because you really don't know if you're rich unless you know how to measure wealth. Now those of you that know me uh, for a long time know that I I am hard of hearing. Uh, Years ago I went into Costco and had them uh, give me a test. And they told me that I had a 50% loss uh, in each ear. One was a little worse. The percentages were a little bit different. Basically about a a 50% loss. So if you add it together, I'm 100% uh, loss of hearing uh, in both ears. No. Uh, But I I can't hear well. And so um, they did the test and then they uh, had the little loners in there. And they fixed up the range that I was going to need. And then they, about 10 years later, which was about a year and a half ago, I guess, maybe a year ago, about a year ago, they uh, walked me through there. We did the same thing, and uh, it had degenerated some. And we did the exact same thing, a different person. And so the first time I had, uh, it was uh, Aubrey. The second time I had Jake and Paula. And so we were walking through the store. And they said, now, here's what I want you to do. And I told them ahead of time, this is what they were going to say. Now, I don't want you to look at the person you're with because one of the things that people that are hard of hearing, and even if you're not, you may have noticed when people have been wearing masks that you have a harder time hearing because we read people's countenance. We read their lips. But I didn't know that for a long time that I had to read people's lips because I was hard of hearing. And they said, I don't want you to, I'm going to turn this on in a minute. They had him in my ear, but he hadn't turned them on. And he said, uh, so I don't want you to look at them. I want you to uh, uh, have a conversation with them as you walk through the store. And then uh, I just want you to, to notice things and, and listen for things that you've never heard before. And I thought, well, that's kind of an anomaly. How do I know what to listen for if I've never heard it before? So we stood just outside the place where the little uh, hearing place is. He turned it on. He said, do you hear something? I said, yeah. I said, it's kind of a, a low roar. He says, yeah, I brought you there because everybody hears that with you at your level. 
I said, what is that? I said, it's it's very pronounced. And he said, look up there. And it was an air conditioning vent. Now, it was a large vent. But it was almost like a, a roar, not hurting my ears. I had never heard that before. And I was so fascinated by that. And he said, okay, now, now walk through the store, you know, 40 minutes, an hour, just listen and, and talk to your wife uh, and talk to your son and just have a conversation with them. I did that. I was able to pick up conversation with them and understood. I heard conversations of people aisles apart. I heard the, the wheels of... of of the little buggies. I heard that. I heard all kinds of things that I had never heard before with those hearing aids because they assisted me. It opened up a whole new world. And then I remember thinking, I'd forgotten because it had been a decade from the first time, but I had this thought that, man, I, I wonder what I have been missing. What are the things that I had been missing? I know one thing that I had missed, and one of the reasons that it was kind of urgent for me to to get these hearing aids was that Paul and I would be in a a setting where I was doing some counseling, maybe some marriage counseling with a couple. And uh, if the person had a low tone of voice or they would look down, I couldn't read their lips. And it would be a crucial, crucial, a crucial piece of information. And I would miss it because of my lack of hearing. I said, I've got to get this fixed because of what I do and and trying to help people. And then as I I began to think about what I was preaching today, I I thought about about that story. And here's how I want to segue into this message. Whenever you miss truth, and then all of a sudden truth begins to flood your heart, And the clarity of it comes clear. And you discover some things that you you never heard before. It begins to make a difference in your life. And you say, I wonder what I have been missing. You learn some things about uh, just how to live. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said this. He said, if you'll come to our school, we won't just teach you how to make a living. We'll teach you how to live really like that. We won't just teach you how to make a living. We will teach you how to live. And you begin, begin to learn how to serve the Lord. You learn how to, how to have a Christian home, how to parent, how to get along with people, how to forgive people. Not just how to survive, but how to thrive. So many things that are truth in the Word of God that teach you how to live in this life and how to prepare for the next life. Now, one of the blockages that we have in our spiritual hearing to be able to know truth is what we call the world. Now, every Christian has three enemies, and they are the source of our spiritual warfare. Those enemies are the world, the flesh, and the dentist. Now, we also have another enemy, and that is the devil. And I'm just being humorous there, but the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, the flesh is the internal enemy. That's the corrupt nature that is attracted to sin. The world is the external enemy. Now, I want to explain this because we're going to spend a little bit of time here in the introduction on what the world is, and you'll see where we're going in a moment. Now, most Christians and lost people especially, because when the Bible uses the term world, it's either talking about people, God so loved the world, or it's talking about the planet that God created, Psalm 24. But in the New Testament, most of the time it's talking about a philosophy, a way of thinking. So when we talk about worldliness, he's not talking about um, an external way of living, that is the fruit of worldliness. The world, the way the Bible uses the term world, is a system. It is a philosophy. Listen carefully. It's a way of thinking without God. Now listen, our culture that we live on, our world's culture, not just the whole planet, 
not just America, everything. The culture is based on worldly ways and mindsets. That means God is absent. And here's what that means. It means it constantly changes. That means that fashions change. In fact, the, one of the words for the world in the Bible is the word, word cosmos. And uh, sometimes people use that for the idea of fashion because it changes constantly. And uh, fashion is not, it, it can be worldly, but that's the fruit of worldliness. And if you just attack externalism, you're not attacking the real issue. Now, stay with me. Listen, this is so crucial. I don't want you to miss this. So one of the purposes of the enemy is to get us to embrace a culture, watch this, a mindset, a philosophy, a way of thinking that is without God. Now, you don't have to embrace that if you're not a Christian because you've already embraced it. You're born with it. Now, most of you either haven't heard this term, or if you have, you haven't thought about it a long time because we don't use it much more, and that is secular humanism. Uh, It was kind of in vogue in the 80s, and people, Christians, were making people alert to it. Uh, You can kind of look it up. I don't want you to do it right now. You may want to jot the expression down. But... Back in the, I think it was 1930s, there was a document, a a collection of people came together and they wrote a manifesto. It's called the Humanist Manifesto. And it's just this document of anti-God. They don't believe in creation. And the names there were the shakers and movers of culture and society. And then they came back and they made another document called uh, um, Humanist Manifesto II. And it's the, the footings and the foundations of secular humanism. And it is the doctrine of most educational systems, of public educational systems, whether they're uh, educational systems on elementary, middle schools, and high schools, or colleges today. Now, you may say, well, I, I don't believe that, but you can research that. In fact, I think John Dewey, who was the founder of one of the founders of the public education system in the United States. He was one of the signers of the original Humanist Manifesto. Now, I'm not, I'm not pummeling the public educational system. Uh, my mom was in that. I worked for them in the fall. Uh, here's what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. I'm simply saying that our world is enmeshed in this. Entertainment is. The newspapers are. Our our culture is enmeshed in this. And that's why, listen, that's why the Bible calls you an alien and a pilgrim. This is not your home. This is not just southern gospel songs. This is not your home. An alien means this is not my country. A pilgrim is someone that is on the way home. And we we are aliens and pilgrims in this culture because this culture is anti-God. Now, the Bible gives us instructions to be salt and light, uh, to love people, or to love God, love people, and this, that's another message for another day. But I'm going somewhere with this thought. So you have the world, you have the flesh. So the flesh is internal, the corrupt nature which is attracted to sin. The world is anti-God, which appeals to the flesh... And makes it want to sin and then justifies it. I mean, you look at things that are going to, how can they do, how can they think, how can these politicians think that way? That is not even normal. That, that doesn't even make sense. Well, because it's absent God. It's absent truth. Now, the devil coordinates the world and he manipulates the world to accomplish his purposes. He's like a puppeteer. And he is behind the scenes Manipulating the world, organizing the world so that he can accomplish his purposes. Now, I ask you to turn to 1 John 5. We'll look at Proverbs in just a moment, Proverbs 13. But notice in 1 John chapter 5, look at verse 18. And I want you to look at one of the titles, one of the names for Satan here. 1 John 5, 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, 
And that wicked one, now that's the title, that's the name for Satan, toucheth him not. That means a Christian keeps himself, he watches himself, he's attentive to himself, because the Holy Spirit of God lives in him. And uh, I'm able not to sin. It doesn't mean I don't sin, but I'm able not to sin because of the Holy Spirit. And he, he gives me a sensitivity to sin, and I'm able to keep myself, not to keep myself in my salvation. Only Christ does that. But to guard myself from situations. And that wicked one, this is, now watch this, this is a name for the enemy. You see this? He touches him. Who is him? That is a Christian. Now the word touch there means to fasten or hold tight. He has no right to you. He has absolutely no right to you, no authority over you. But he's called the wicked one. Now look at the next verse. And we know that we are of God and the whole world, now here's what I want you to see, lieth in wickedness. Do you see that? Now, where is the world? The world lies in wickedness or in the wicked one. In the one that is manipulating the system. Now, now stay with me on this. I know I'm laying some groundwork. I'm asking for your mind. But I want you to think about this matter of the world. Not the people, not the planet, but the philosophy. This is huge. Uh, when you were lost, you, you lived according to the philosophy of the world. That's why when you come to church, and I remember years ago, uh, I, I won a man to Christ, and Layman Strauss came to church, and he, he had his book table back here, and one of his books, this was like 1998, one of his books was The Sin of Worry. He bought the book, this man bought the book, and he brought it up to me. He said, I keep finding out different things are sins. I didn't know this was a sin. And, and you keep discovering things as, as you get your spiritual hearing aids in. And you begin to learn truth that, no, I'm entrusting my life and my re- The government is not my source. My job is not my source. God is my source. And He's my Father. And He's going to take care of things. He loves me. He's going to take care of things. I'm not to fret. Fret not. Because of evildoers, neither be thou envious. Because as a, the Bible says, they, they, they will wither away. Don't, don't, don't worry, don't fret. So many other scriptures about that. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And you hath he quickened or made alive who were past tense dead and trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past, so he's talking about people that are saved. He's talking about their past. You walked according, look at this, to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. Now, the prince of the power of the air, that's another title for Satan. He manipulated the world. Now, notice the word course, the course of this world. The word course there means the present system of this world. Lost people walk according to the present system of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. I remember when, and I've told you this before, but it's an example. When my boys were playing baseball and they would make all-star teams. And, and they would schedule games on Wednesday nights. And I would make a loving appeal, but I would make an appeal, but a loving appeal that, hey, we have church on Wednesday nights. And, and I was talking to my friend who was one of the administrators in the city. He said, well, it's just one game. And I said, but David, that's the point. It's just one game. It's just one game. So we can move just one game. Now, that's reasonable. Okay? But in the world system, in the world system, and I shouldn't have said his name, but in the world system, you can't reason with people. See? And and all and, and I wrote I wrote kind letters and, and tried to look. We are trying to help these young people to cultivate character and to help them to live right. And in a day and age when when young people are making bad decisions, one of the things they need is a church to help them. And I love baseball, but when we're scheduling sports, not just baseball. 
And I can remember driving to church. Maybe you're like me and you drive by and you see the soccer fields full on Sunday. Let me, let me encourage you. Don't get angry at these kids. Lost people are not our enemies. They're victims. And they're victims of the world system. That's the way the world thinks. It's absent God. Are you tracking with me? You get this? It's the way the world, that's the way you used to think. I hope if you're a Christian, you're not thinking that way anymore. But if you don't have spiritual hearing aids in, if you're not listening to truth, you you still think those ways. And I just kind of picked a sliver out. There, There are so many other areas. Now, when you came to Christ, God saved you for His purposes, and He delivered you. Now, now listen to this. He delivered you from your need to have the world's approval. So all of a sudden, the most important person's approval in your life was not the world, but God's approval. Now, before I show you Scripture, I want to say this. That sometimes you have to be careful Sometimes you can have the right position and the wrong disposition. And it's just as important that you have the correct disposition. Always. And sometimes people reject your position because of your disposition, and they're both important. They're both important. But when I came to Jesus, not only did He forgive me of my sins and give me a home in heaven, but in this present life, He delivered me from bondage to this present system, to this philosophy. So I want to please my king. And he enables me to stand alone where I can say a very, very important word. No. No. Because I have a bigger yes. And by the way, you'll never be able to say no until you have a bigger yes burning inside of you. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 3, The Bible says, Grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the gospel. Who gave himself for our sins in our our place for our sins. Now here's the purpose clause. That he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. You see that? Deliver us or save us. Not just from our sins, that's what word deliver means, from this present world. And it caused this system, this way of thinking, and this is not people, this is a system. It's evil. And if, you're, if, if you do not have spiritual hearing aids, if you will, you're, you're not going to get this. Now here's the warning, and I've got you in First John, you can mark these if you want. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. Six times in this passage, God uses the word world in the same way. A system, a philosophy of thinking without God. Love not the world. Not saying people. Don't you love this system of thinking? Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, and watch this, the love of the Father is not in him. The idea of love toward the Father. You can't love God and love the world at the same time. For all that is in the world, here's what the world is composed of. And this is what, how Satan engineers the world. The lust of the flesh, that's the desire to do. The lust of the eyes, the desire to have. And the pride of life, the desire to be. Those three things, those are the sources of our temptation. The desire to do, the desire to have, the desire to be. These are not of the Father, but they're of the world. These are all rooted in the world. I've got to have that. I want to be that. My mind is so full now My purpose is really not to preach on the world. This is introductory. But the world passes away. You see this? It's transitory. And the lust thereof, the the thing that manipulates, that the devil uses, but he that does the will of God abides forever. And he says, don't love the world. 
neither the things that are in the world. What are these things? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You know what the world does? It replaces the love of the Father and the will of God. Now listen to me. You're not going to love God and you're not going to love His will if you love the world. The thing is, is the world is filled with error. It's filled with lies. It's filled with satanic thinking. It's not just misappropriate ways of thinking. It's a dead end. Now, you get a clue in this text to overcoming the world by the last phrase there, that the world passes away and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. There's a contrast and a solution here that the world is temporary. It's passing away. That's why it changes. I remember when I grew up that ties were real, real big. Remember that, Theron? People had those great big old ties. I don't know if people still wear them. Uh, A quartet used to wear them. They had these huge, and they had these big, I need to be careful, and I need to look around here. Good, nobody got them. They had these real big uh, um, knots. Remember that? Yeah. And, and you know, what goes around comes around. It's going to come around again. Somebody said the best thing to do is when it first comes in, don't wear it. You don't want to be the first, but you don't want to be the last either. And sometimes you don't even want to get on that train. You know, if if it doesn't honor the Lord, it's not modest. It doesn't, it just doesn't. Because it's, it's all about you. You know, it's kind of like a picture. Somebody said the, the picture is the most important thing, not, not the frame, you know. And the picture is your face. Are you, listen, here, here. The picture is your face, but it's, it's not the beauty of your face. It's your eyes. The book of Psalms talks about the brightness of your eyes and it's your countenance. That's what gives honor to God, not, not the attractive. What makes you attractive is your smile. It's, it's not your figure. It's not the power of your presence. It's your countenance. And sometimes we destroy those things by, by the world's way of thinking, by Vogue magazine, by these worldly influences. I hope you're tracking with me. You have to be careful because you begin to attack people. That's not my purpose. I'm trying to get you to be a thinking person so that you can say, no, I don't, I don't need that. I, I, don't, I don't need that because this is not about me. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, the Bible says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. We've already seen that one time. Because I'm enabled by the Holy Spirit to do what's right. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. What is the victory? And this verse used to confuse me. What's the victory? Our faith. And who is he that overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And two times there he talks about faith. The victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth? He that believeth that Christ is the Son of God. And here's why it is. It's faith because the world de- deals with the present. Faith deals with eternal. If you do not have a long-term vision for the future, what you're going to do is you're going to, to get swallowed up by, by worldly thinking. So one of the blockages to my ability to hear from God and know truth, even when I come to church, is the world. So, one of the philosophies, worldly philosophies, now I'm shifting, okay, now I'm taking a shift from the world. I said all that to say this. One of the worldly philosophies that leaves God out of the picture is about wealth. We get almost exclusively, almost exclusively, our thinking about wealth from the world. And it's, it's leaked into the church. And to many of you, you, th- you think this way. The world has defined wealth for us. What it is, 
and we limit it to the financial area. The world has defined success for us, and we limit it to the financial area. Recently, I was in a conversation with our family, and a name of a, a distant relative came up. And uh, someone made a comment, just, just spontaneously, their name come, came up, and spontaneously, this comment came up and said, Oh, he's going to make a lot of money. He's going to make a lot of money. That was the first thing that came out. Now, you have to be careful about these things. Here's what truth can make you mean, and it can make you hard. You have to be careful. You don't want to be judgmental. And I, and I say this with a very gentle spirit. But it, it wasn't anything about character-based. It wasn't anything about godliness. It was about he's going to make a lot of money. Because we attend to assign that to be a priority as parents. Because we want our kids to have more than we did. I wonder how many kids are not in occupational ministry because their parents do not want them to suffer financially. I mean, I I know of situations. Well, we, we don't want you to have to suffer, especially if they were in ministry. Or they just want them to have more than they do. And so, so they teach them, and stay with me, a worldly definition of wealth and success. And then not only does this come down from the parents, but it comes down from, it comes as young people. You know, we begin to pursue that and we begin to think, well, that's what success is. Success is all about Things. Remember what First John 2 said, Love not the world, neither the things, the things, the things, the things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. The desire to have, the desire to be, the desire to do. And, and that's going to be with you to the day that you die. And the Holy Spirit of God can help you to temper those things. But one of the things He do is He helps you to... To put your spiritual hearing aids and say, hold it, hold it. Stop and think. Stop and think now. Now, I want to give you a definition for the will of God that I've given you through the years. And I want to put it in here because I think it's important. The will of God, I'm sorry, for, for success, for success. A biblical definition of success. Success is finding the will of God as early in life as possible and doing it. I love that definition. I've used that for, for ever since I've been in this church. I've used this in youth ministry for years, but it's not just youth ministry. It's true. That's what success is. Because in that sense, it's the same, but it's unique if it's you. Success is... Is finding the will of God as early in life as possible and then obeying it and then doing that. I uh, sent out a, a text two days ago to uh, uh, Jeremiah and John and to Zach. I had read this article. Some of you read it, I'm sure, with the collapse of the condo down in uh, the Miami suburbs. And it was about um, this firefighter that found his daughter. How many of you saw that? Yeah. A lot of you didn't. He found, he found his daughter. He was going through the rubble. And he, he found his seven-year-old daughter. And there were some other family members in there too. He found his seven-year-old daughter... They brought the gurney up and, and he took off his coat and he covered his seven-year-old daughter with his coat and they put an American flag over her little body and he and others helped him carry her body down that debris field and they formed a line on two sides. And they said when they, they finally got down there, that on both sides of the line, that those men began to weep. 
And I, I, I didn't just read the story, but I began to just soak in that story. And I began, to, I began to think about this. I began to think, okay, he knew that his relatives lived in those towers. And that firefight, that was not an accidental find. He, was whole, he knew his daughter was in there somewhere. And, and he was fervently and urgently hoping to find her alive. And as I was preparing this message, I, I thought I, I would that, that I, my kids are grown now, but I have grandkids. But I tried and I encouraged my kids still. But those of you that have children, grandkids, that we would have the same type of, of diligence and a sense of urgency to communicate what true success and true wealth is. Because listen to me, it is a life and death issue, not physically, but spiritually. It is spiritual suicide. They may not die physically, but it is spiritual suicide when a person has a wrong definition of success and they have a wrong definition of wealth. And that's why when I, I wrote one sermon, and as I began to, to pull these apart, I began to say, this is, this is more than one sermon. There are some things in here that we need to marinate in. And so when the Bible does speak often about wealth and money, but they're not always the same things. And so when I say how to be rich... It's not always the same thing. And so we've been talking about how to measure wealth. Because if you measure wealth in only finances, you miss the best part of life. And that's what the devil wants. If he can't have your soul and take you to hell, he wants your testimony. He wants your joy. He wants your peace. He wants, he wants the life in your heart. He wants you to get to the end of your life and look back and say, I hate my life. I spent several hours, three hours and 15 minutes on the phone on Friday with a, with a friend of mine who had just lost a, a loved one. And... Uh, At the end of the call, he laughed. He said, I don't think I've ever talked to my wife for three hours on the phone. I said, well, you, let's don't tell anybody about this. That's what I said. Let's just don't tell anybody about this. We laughed about it. I really didn't have three hours in that day. But he needed three hours. And I needed those three hours. I have another friend that's going through some things, and he texted me yesterday, and he texted me last night. And I'm going to make a phone call. Listen, let, let me tell you something. Life is about loving God and loving people, period. And if I fail in those two things, I have failed. I have failed. Now, I know you need money in the bank to pay bills. I know that. And we're going to talk about this in, in more practical terms. I understand that. Please know, I understand all of that. But if you miss these two, the great commandment and the second commandment, and you miss the true wealth, you've just missed it. Solomon was the richest man in the world and the wisest man in the world. But the, the book in the Bible that uses the word vain or vanity more than any other book is a word, is a book, Ecclesiastes. And basically, it's a book that, about living in vain. I live in vanity or emptiness. And, and some of that's where the wisdom came from. I gave my life to know these things and have these things. And you read Ecclesiastes 2 and all the stuff he had, and then you get to the end of the book and he says, you know what? It's about fearing God. 
and walking with him and knowing him and keeping his commandments. And Solomon bottomed out. He listened to his friends that came to him. and He said, Solomon, uh, if you will do this, the old man said, if you want to be a great ruler, if you want to be a good ruler, you need to ease up. David David had some people in authority. Your dad had some that the taxes were too high. If you ease up, and those men were right. The older men were right. But he said, no. He called in the guys his age. What do you think? And they began to, because they wanted political power, they began to speak to his ego. Oh, you need to lay it on. Your dad's was like this. He said, you, you need to be like scorpions. You need to add it on. And he listened to the wrong people. And he messed up in, in so many ways. Last week I taught you that change starts in the heart. That's repentance. It's not reformation. It's not just listening. It's not just listening to this sermon and saying, okay, I need to do better. I need to love God. No, it's a change of mind. It's a change of philosophy. It's, it's stop being worldly. That's what it is. Now, some of you, if you're saved, if you're not saved, you need to come to Christ. But you need to put your, your spiritual hearing aids in. And you need to listen. You need to listen. And grieve over your sin. And apply the Word of God. And say, I, I'm going. Not I'm going be different, but with the help of God, enabling of the Spirit of God. I'm going to be a different man. I'm going to be a different woman. Because if your understanding of wealth is wrong, you're headed for disillusionment. I want to give you a quote. The reason there is disillusionment is that there was an illusion. That's simple, but it's profound. The reason there is disillusionment is there was an illusion. Somebody lied to you. You may tell you who's lying. The world is lying. You know who's telling you the truth this morning? This preacher's telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. And happiness and joy and peace is not found in your bank account. It's found in your walk with the Lord. It's found in your relationships. That's where it's found. That's why I must be exposed to God's truth consistently. And when I hear it, I need to repent. I need to change my mind. And this is why I come to church to put on these, these spiritual hearing aids. I have so much more to tell you. When my mom, in her last couple of years before she died, we would be driving along. I'd pick her up. She'd love to go eat. And uh, Paula's out of town. I, I, she loved July the 4th. And uh, took Paula to the airport yesterday morning, Daniel and Leslie and Paula, or, or Aubrey. And I dropped them off, and I was at home working. And I just got to thinking about my mom about this weekend. And she loved fireworks. She loved the red, white, and blue. She loved everything about America, but she loved this weekend. Everything about it. Family, the whole thing. God and what he has done. This country and how he started it. The sacrifices of the people and the patriots. She loved this thing. And um, I began to think about her and I began to miss her. She dressed my dad up and make him wear red, white, and blue. And he gladly did it. And I'd pick her up, and I thought about, you know, Paula's gone. This is the kind of thing I'd, I'd go pick up my mom. I'd just go down and say, hey, let's go eat. 
And I, I was grieving her a little more. And there were two things that she said a lot to me. One was, uh, she'd say, Rick, God has been good to me. And I'd say, Mama, I know. She said, oh, no. She said, he really has. God has been good to me. And she said that over and again. She didn't say it in her 30s. She didn't say it in her 40s. She didn't say it in her 60s, but she said it in her mid-70s up and after. God has been good to me. And after about the third time, I said, she's saying something to me. Because she wasn't sick when she passed away. She was healthy. But I guess it was her age or whatever. She just wanted to communicate that from a grateful heart. God has been good to me. But there was a second thing that she communicated that just always hurt me. And she said it maybe three times. Didn't say it near as much. I can remember sitting down there in the den. It'd get dark down there sometimes at her house. And we'd be a quiet moment. She said, Rick, I'm sorry. I'm the oldest. I have a brother and sister. Mama, why are you sorry? I'm sorry that... I'm sorry that Dad and I don't have much to leave you. Mom, what are you talking about? I just don't have much to leave you. So, Mama, look at me. You've left me a good name. You have instructed me and encouraged me. You've laid your life down for me. You brought me to Jesus. You taught me the word of God. And I said other things. And she never said, okay. She would just sit over and bow her head and weep. I'd go sit by her. And maybe on two other occasions, she said it was on her heart. I think here's what I'm saying is that that thinking, that, that can I say this worldly thinking is in all of us where we feel there is a stewardship that parents have for children, which you understand. But I want to say this, it's a heavy, the heavy stewardship that parents have is not financial. No, it's not. No, it is not. Because I'm going to be okay. Because they taught me how to work and they taught me how to think. My daddy didn't just give me a fish. He taught me how to fish. My mom just didn't give me money to buy books. She taught me how to read and taught me how to study. And they gave me the tools to succeed and they taught me the definition for success. And how do you say thank you for that? And as we close today, uh, I want to play a song for you. It's very special to me. I was looking for another song last night. And I just came across this one. And I thought that really fits in with the message today. And uh, if you can find that, Andrew, when I give you the signal, my friend. And it's about investing in your children. But it's also, those of you that are young today, some of you, this is the way your, your parents may feel. But you moms and dads, I want you to take courage when you watch this. But it's not just where you give your kids time, but you give them the gospel. And you give them the word of God. And you bring them to church. And you sow seeds of righteousness in their lives and give them time. I love this song because this is, this is my life. This is my life. I listened to this 20, 30 years ago and we used to sing it in the car, me and Paula. My kids were so little and he just motivated me. So I'm going to live like that. And hopefully I did because my dad and my mom did for me. 
Go ahead, buddy, play there. Amen. Happy Independence Day. Love you guys. Let's pray for 